Welcome to Booked, the podcast where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This episode, we're going to be talking about the book Three Seconds by Anders Rosalind and Borg Hellstrom. But before we get into that, I thought we might tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, I'm an avid reader and have been a lifelong avid reader. I've only started tracking how much I read um, over the last couple of years, but I average about a book a week. Uh, Times in my life, I think it's probably been a little more, and then there's times where it's been a little less. A very varied background in book tastes, um, from the horror of Clive Barker to Men's Adventure, Don Pendleton's The Executioner, um, Robert Crace Mysteries, and the you know wackiness of Chuck Palahniuk, and a whole slew of authors, many of whom uh, I'm sure very few people have heard of. So uh, I love a wide, wide variety of books, and uh, we're going to start talking about some of those books here. Uh I, start, I always tell people this cute story from when I was a child about why I read so much and why I care about books. Is when I was a kid, um, the local library in my small town in Illinois had this thing where if you read a certain number of books, I can't remember the number, uh, you'd, win, you'd, you'd get free tickets to a Cubs game. And so my parents thought it was a great idea. And during the summertime, I would always read all these books with the goal of getting these Cubs tickets, but we got so many Cubs tickets we couldn't go to all the games. And um, now it's, you know, over 20 years later. I don't like sports at all. I can't stand sports, (laughs) but I read constantly. I read all the time. And so that goofy program worked way more than I ever expected it would, and now I read pretty much all the time. Um, Much like Livius, I have kind of a, a variety of different types of books I like to read, from really mainstream mainstream stuff to the more obscure things and everything from genres like noir. I recently read uh, the Jim Thompson book, uh, The Killer Inside Me, um, all the way up to goofy kind of humorous stuff like Christopher Moore with his books, uh, the vampire books that take place in San Francisco, and smaller unknown authors like Peter Plate, a San Francisco author, and then you know some other... Uh, lesser heard of people as well. So I kind of genre jump. I go all over the place from books that almost no one's heard of to, you know, your mass market stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing that heartwarming story of literary prostitution and youngsters too as uh, as uh, was very heartwarming. So thank you for sharing that. That was kind of amusing. So <laughs> Yeah, it really was kind of uh, being pimped out for, for free tickets. Yeah, it was my. Cool. I was. I suspected at the time that my parents didn't really care as much about me reading as reading like, as the free know, cup games. Yeah, yeah, not having to pay for me to get into a cup game. Well, you know what? And I've always been a big proponent. We've had this conversation many times when you're slamming, you know, Stephanie Meyer and her books. But um, yeah, anything that gets kids reading is is just fantastic by me. And I don't care what you know if it's Cubs tickets or crappy vampire stories or whatever. You know, I mean, anything that gets kids reading is fine by me. So. Anyway, I guess we should get into the actual book. Uh, sure. You want to start off? Um, sure. The book's called Three Seconds. Um, Rob gave you the near unpronounceable uh, names of the two authors, who I will refer to as Rosalind and Hellstrom, because I'm not going to struggle over their first names. Um, the two authors, um, co-authors of the books, of the book are uh, of Swedish descent. This book actually won the 2009 Best Crime Novel um, in Sweden, and the Great Reader's Prize also um, in 2009, which is when it was released in Sweden. It was released here um, very recently in 2011, January. Uh, The authors 
kind of interesting, something you don't hear about authors. They're co-authors. Um, Mr. Rosalind is a lifelong journalist and served at different editor's posts and whatever throughout his career. Uh, Mr. Hellstrom is actually a reformed criminal. And Rob will tell you a little bit more about him. Yeah, from what I understand, um, after uh, getting out of prison, uh, Hellstrom uh, co-founded an organization whose abbreviation is KRIS. I don't know the actual Swedish name for it, but translated in English, it stands for Criminals Return to Society. And um, the way the two authors met, from what I read, which um, I want to do a little bit of a, a disclaimer that the information I have is just pretty much gleaned from um, the author website or reviews that the author linked to. Um, I didn't do a lot of very serious deep digging on this stuff, but uh, according to the website, uh, how they met basically was Rosalind as a journalist uh, met with Hellstrom because he was part of this KRIS uh, organization to talk about a story he was doing on rehab- rehabilitating criminals. And that kind of takes us in the heart of our story. Surprise, surprise. It's about uh, criminals and uh, and the police system in Sweden. Uh, Again, one disclaimer, and I know we're going to talk probably way too much about this later in the review, but the book is 2009 in Sweden. It is the fifth book um, in a series, uh, and I don't know how tight of a series it is as far as the chronological order or that type of thing, but it all does revolve around one particular character. Um, Ewart Grenz, who is a, he's a detective superintendent for the Stockholm City Police Department. Uh, your kind of older fogey dog that won't let go of a bone type investigator who, you know, always gets his man, so to speak, uh, and partakes, uh, of a very troubled past, um, surrounding the death of his wife, which, um, is a little grainy, at least when you're reading it, or foggy, um, so you really figure out what's going on. And I, again, that's probably based on the fact that this is book number five. Um, back to, I guess, what I was saying before. I, the fifth book in the series, the first one released in the United States, which is why we read it and we're reviewing it. Um, so we don't have the benefit of the backstory of the first four books. Yes. Um, and I think that does kind of... It was an odd choice to be to release the fifth book in a series as the first one released in the United States. Uh <laughs> it definitely does give you a situation where I, I think that um, knowing that the people who did the translations and stuff might have have you know compensated for that somewhere, had that in mind when they when they did the translation, because uh, the adaptation doesn't really I don't know it doesn't really take that into account. That's really interesting because I that hadn't occurred to me at all that in the translation they may have tidied up a little bit of that and I, I jumping ahead I guess into you know almost reviewing before we get to the story I, I didn't find out until three quarters um, of the way through the book that it was a part of a series or the fifth part of a series but the second I did a lot of things clicked. Um, as to aspects of what I felt was um, not explained properly or was missing a little something. So. Yeah. Uh, so to talk about what the story is about a little bit, um, <clears throat> it pretty much resolves, revolves around the Ewart Grenz character that Livius already mentioned, as well as another character, Piet Hoffman, who works as a police informant um, and after witnessing 
uh, a murder, being, you know, being witness to a murder. He's offered kind of a situation where he does this one final thing for the police of Sweden, and um, in doing so, he'll be pardoned of all his crimes and get to go on living, go about living the life that he's kind of always wanted with his family, which he cares deeply for. So it's one of those, not necessarily cliched, but kind of tight packages of do this and you're out and you have everything. So it, it, it's kind of like a, it's, it's risky, but if you put it all on the line, it could work out. The job that he's given to do is where the book gets really interesting. Um, he has to, in he winds up committing a crime with the police knowledge. They arrest him and um, sentence him to, I, I believe it was two or three years in prison um, for a crime that he committed. While he's in prison, he is to set up the entire prison drug cartel, overthrow the current um, prison drug dealers and set up uh, the cartel in prison for, uh, for his Polish mafia uh, employers. And that's where the book, the gist of the book, and where it becomes very interesting is is around his his time spent in prison and how this plan kind of unfolds. And it essentially takes place. Uh, there's basically two settings. There's the there's the parts of the book that take place um, on the streets of Stockholm and in the Stockholm um, police precincts and stuff like that. There's a couple little jaunts out to other countries, but nothing really substantial substantial or really even worth mentioning and then the majority of the book and in my personal opinion the probably the most gratifying part of the book takes place actually in the Swedish prison system Um, so there's not a lot of really colorful scenery or descriptions of anything it's pretty basic you know urban settings prison settings and um, you really rely on the detail of what the characters are doing and the personality and and uh, the depth of the characters for a lot of your, I guess, scenery. An interesting note, uh, it appears that Piet Hoffman was a, and the book really, really revolves around him, and he is more of a central character than than uh, Ewart Grenz is, who is the series, um, I don't know, the series main character. Um, this is apparently the first book he's appeared in of um, Rosalind and Hellstrom, which is kind of interesting the five books into a series you make your book that you know and it's you write a book that's i don't know halfway is that fair halfway around piet hoffman maybe more i mean he definitely comes comes across as the central character in this and the star so to speak you grens kind of takes a back seat to him but i mean i don't know like i'm probably going to make a reference that absolutely no one is going to understand but um i <laughs> And it's a really odd parallel because they're completely different genres and everything. Uh, but if you look at um, uh, certain authors, just do kind of crossovers as opposed to like a series. Like Christopher Moore is incredible at bringing characters into books um, from other books and stuff like that, where uh, they might be one of the most well-known or recognized characters that he's written. But in the book that they're in, you know, um, they're kind of a secondary or a tertiary role, uh, you know, against other characters who are more main that you've never heard of before. I guess it's not unprecedented, but it's an odd choice for such a, for I would think with crime fiction, um, that you would do a much more kind of, it wouldn't be so, uh, I don't know, like TV-ish where, you know, you do guest appearances and stuff. You would think it would be more consistent and pulling on that main character. 
Right, and that's kind of and and Piet Hoffman, in in my opinion, is is the best part of this book. And I don't know, I, I don't know that this book would have. Um, I don't think it would have won the 2009 uh, Swedish Crime Novel of the Year award if it wasn't for the Piet Hoffman character, to be quite honest, or at least the storyline that involves him. And it, it has to be a you know, it's obviously a very central part of the story. Um, uh, one of their previous books did win uh, some significant awards and was shortlisted for a couple of, of of awards previously, but this was the only one that won um, the best crime novel of the year, which apparently is one of the biggest awards in Sweden that, that a book can get. So with that being said, um, we have a crime novel that involves quite some plotting and planning, and that's really the, the fun part of it. Um, the other half of the novel being Ewart Grenz is in the completely in the dark, although very influential people in the Swedish government and police department are aware of what's going on. He's kind of left in the dark, and he's just trying to do his thing where he solves a murder, and that's the, the other half of the, of the story. Right, and the Grenz character, um, I'd like to talk about a little bit. Uh, it seemed like, at least to me, it was written in a way where you would expect from these other books that this was kind of a more powerful character, and that that um, his kind of idiosyncrasies and stuff were well established in former books. Um, I don't think that really translates on a one-book basis. Just if you're taking this as a one-off, I really don't get the full power of the Grenz character. Um, don't really have a lot of buy-in for him either. That's just a thought. And exactly what I thought while I was reading it, and as I was reading about some of his idiosyncrasies, I felt like there was something there I should have known. Like maybe I had missed something in, in reading it, and of course later to find out that, yes, I missed four entire books. Uh, of build up of this character, so he does deal with some issues of losing um, a wife uh, that he apparently cared about a lot, um, heavy melodrama regarding his wife through this book, which may have not seemed as heavy had we have had backstory on it, but it did it kind of hit you with a hammer in the in the loss of his wife and in the melodramatic um, the melodrama that ensued from that in the Grenz character, which I didn't care for, but I might have cared for considerably more had I have had any affection for him. For sure. And then um, that kind of begs the question, how do, the, how do we feel about other characters in the book? Obviously, we like Hoffman, and we like this little um, snapshot of who he is and what he does and everything. Other characters in the book, um, I, again, don't really have a huge amount of... I didn't really have a way to invest any kind of emotion in them. There was the Hoffman character. There was uh, several other police detectives and stuff who assisted Grenz in the investigation. There was some, uh, like you said, higher-level people in the government. Uh, there was Hoffman's family. Again, Hoffman really had a very emotional tie to his wife and his kids, but they were so... Uh, the development was so thin for those characters that, you know, I didn't feel what Hoffman felt for his family. I felt like they were, you know, like a picture on a wall as opposed to something that you could kind of pick up and hold. The other character that um, this causes kind of a rift with as far as jumping in is there's what could have been a very interesting story with uh, Ewart Grenz and Lars Agastam. Who or Agastam, who is a government prosecutor that Grenz has a 
terrible relationship with and they could hardly stand each other. That, again, felt like there was something missing and that could have been a relationship and those scenes with Eminem could have been really good if I had a backstory and would understand why they really couldn't stand each other. And again, the book suffers from that as well. So, it does so, a so lot far, of One of the biggest problems is that we didn't read the other books. Um, so, I can imagine that hitting the scene in the United States as is, I think that a lot of people could probably hit the same problem. When you look at other books in a series, and I've been thinking about this a little bit, um, Dan Brown has his recurring character, whose name eludes me now, but the character from The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. And, I and believe his name is Tom Hanks. Yes, Tom Hanks. So, <laughs> Even if you were to see the, you know, I'm sure soon to be out third Tom Hanks um, movie, uh, by Dan Brown, uh, there there really doesn't need to be a backstory. They give it to y'all in one snapshot. He's this um, cryptologist or whatever it is that he does, and that's all you really need to know to get into the story. And you can jump on second book, third book. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm sure ninety percent of people read the Da Vinci Code, which was the second book before Angels and Demons, and I don't think anybody missed one thing um, from that. Uh, sadly, Three Seconds suffers from you know the lack of the previous four books. So I said we'd talk about that a little bit, and pretty sure that's all we've talked about so far. It was, it's a pretty big deal that, that um, we're jumping on mid-story, mid or maybe even late in the story, depending on how many uh, more they do. Right. Um, so what do you want to talk about next? you want to talk about... Um, well, let's, let's talk about the obvious, which I think is where you might have been going with this. Uh, everything you see compares this book to... Stig Larsson, the yes, the other Swedish, or I should say, I'm sorry, not the other, because this isn't a sensation yet, and quite honestly, I don't think it's going to be. Um, the Swedish sensation, Stig Larsson, the Millennium series, uh, for those of you who don't know, more commonly known as the girl with books, um, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who played with fire, and the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Uh, parallels have been made between them, and both being Swedish crime novels, uh, what do you think as far as parallels between the two? I honestly think that it starts and stops right there. Um, both, I'm assuming the whole series of Gren's books are Swedish crime. Uh, so both series um, are from Sweden. Both are crime. And really, honestly, that's about it. I think that there's kind of a level of detail um, and like the methodically kind of constructed story uh, is kind of similar uh, the the way that they construct the Hoffman aspects of the book really kind of made me think of how detailed they got into the the Millennium books about the things that were going on in that. With um, I'm going to forget the main character's name, and I'm not going to help you with that. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, uh, that level of detail kind of harkens back, and it might just be the way that Swedish people write. You know, <laughs> I don't know, but. Uh, Otherwise, that's really the only thing that I can draw. Like you said, they're Swedish crime, and that's pretty much it. Mikhail Blomqvist. That's right. Thank which you. took me a minute. I wasn't purposely withholding that for you. My memory for names is so bad. The fact that I pulled it out of somewhere is kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a sequel or a prequel to Three Seconds, um, to be honest. Uh, although the reviews on Amazon, and we'll get into kind of reviewing it ourselves here and giving it some stars, hopefully, um, in a few minutes. But um, four and a half stars on Amazon from not a ton of people, but I mean, it's still pretty significant. So I think that a lot of people really held on to 
the great unfolding of the prison story, which was the middle of the book. Uh, but I think, and from what I read in some other reviews, a lot of other people said the same thing, that it was kind of lacking a little something. Yeah. Um, do you want to kind of go into an individual wrap-up? Each of us can talk about what we liked and what we didn't like, and then kind of give it an overall score? Or do you want to talk more about individual pieces of it still? Nope. I think I'm ready to give it uh, the, the, the whole uh, shebang here real quickly. I thought the book started out... Oh, let me say one more thing about translation. And again, I can't fault... And, and all the stuff that I say and have said throughout this thing, I can't necessarily fault the authors. I don't know what hand they had in bringing their book here. I'm assuming probably none. Their publishing company probably sold the rights to it um, to be brought to the United States. Um, so again, I'm very hesitant on slamming the authors. So I'm going to go with this. Um, I think that the translation may have been lacking a little something. There were some parts in there that were written... And the translation felt a little run-on, maybe a little too much notebook style rather than uh, delivered in a literary fashion. I think it started off a little muddled and slow. It got really, really good throughout the middle as we watched the prison scenes unfold and the plots and plans that went along with that. And then it took a long time to wind down, um, which it seemed very anticlimactic to me. So, what do you got? Um... Yeah, for me, I see it kind of, I really like to tag on to your, your notebook analogy because I see a lot of this book as being kind of not necessarily pieced together, but maybe really strong individual pieces that, you know, they tried to find a way to get them all into the same place. Uh, for example, this doesn't really make much sense to someone who hasn't read the book, but there's a part in the book where... Um, Hoffman says poetry and tulips and you know just by reading him saying that that it's important and then so you know to watch it unfold and it, it's a it's kind of a powerful piece but I could see that I could see someone sitting in a room and having that moment of inspiration and writing this down and saying oh this is going to be great I need to build around it and I kind of have the same feeling about the Hoffman aspect of the book in general, like Livia said, it's really, the payoff is is in watching the entire Hoffman story. And I could see someone saying, you know, I've got this idea where this person goes into a prison and all these things happen. It starts here, it stops here, um, and it's really going to be great, but it's not enough and I need to build some more around it. And so it almost feels like that's what they did. Um, again, going back to the whole English translation thing, I think the editorial process may have suffered a little bit because um, unless they accidentally released this as the first book in the <laughs> United States, um, they really didn't prepare readers for you know for the char- the lack of character development. so I think that it it suffered a little bit in that way as well. I mean overall, the gem of the entire book is the Hoffman story. Uh, is it good enough to read just for that? I guess that depends on your standards. I probably would, um, but I don't know. Um, the The rest of it is just not developed enough to really get my buy-in. I didn't really think about it that much when I was reading the book, but and even subsequently in our talking about it before recording this, but it's interesting, and I don't know if you know the story of um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, which was the uh, third John McClane story that was submitted to the movie companies as an independent story. That uh, this cop gets trapped in this puzzle playing game, 
blah, 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 and, you know, hijinks ensue. And somebody said, boy, you know, we can get Bruce Willis and make this a John McClane story. And I'm, well, it now listening to you say that, it almost leads me to believe, like, maybe you're right. Maybe they had the Piet Hoffman story, and they said, hey, you know how we get people to read this is we throw Ewart Grenz in there. And that is going to kind of almost wrap up my whole opinion on the book now that I've thought about it was, <laughs> well, from what you said, that's kind of what it led in. I think you might be correct on that, that they did come up with Piet Hoffman and they thought, well, you know, people have read the other four books, so we could take the Ewart Grenz name and slap it on here and, and you know, and have an instant fan base for, for a book that's really not about Ewart Grenz. Wow, so... Three seconds is the Die Hard with a Vengeance of the Grenz series. Yes, and it took me three seconds to come up with that synopsis after I heard you explain it so eloquently. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I don't know if we're doing a numbering or a starring system, but if you wanted to do it something out of five, what would you give it? I'm going to have to go with three. Um, again, could have been three and a half, maybe even four. Some of that might have been lost in translation, and obviously the thing we talked about repeatedly no backstory and there really needed to be a rewriting of this book i think if you're going to release it solo or they should have released them in order so i'm going to go with three stars <laughs> uh i also am going to go with a three uh for similar reasons i think that um i can't fault the story as much as the execution well i, I can fault some parts of the story um, if I were to rate Hoffman on his own, I would be, probably give it a higher rank, but as an overall book, I'm going to go three, and to be honest, that's still a good like number out of five. It's not that bad. Uh, there was just, it was not enough to just blow my mind, but the Hoffman piece was good. It was good. Yeah, I think that um, fans of the show Prison Break might enjoy this, fans of... Uh perhaps Oz and anything that's taken place inside the prison system. Um, one thing we really didn't touch about was, uh, didn't touch on, and it's something that was important to the author, so I'm just going to say this pretty quickly, but there's a lot of sociopolitic commentary in that book, too, um, that might interest some people as far as what becomes acceptable for the police to do to let one criminal go in order to catch another criminal or to knowingly know that you're letting a criminal do his thing, but because he helps you to look the other way. So there might be some fans of, I don't know, police politics or whatever you'd call it that might find this book a little more engaging than we did, just because I don't think either one of us are really, you know, fans of that type of thing. I'm going to night school for my criminal justice degree. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it is really important. Obviously, um, because they put some so much information in the end piece of the book um, about facts about the crime system in Sweden and stuff, it's obvious that they they are passionate about the social and political issues surrounding crime and criminals in Sweden. And uh, this is probably one of their best venues for getting information out there is is through popular fiction and more power to them for using that as their their medium for getting their message out okay anything else you're uh, into right now you want to plug before we get on to our next book um not not off the top of my head let's just roll right into why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be reading next all right the next book and you may think us idiots um is the mozart conspiracy American release of a British book and number two in the series because we didn't learn our lesson the first time around. So uh, Scott Mariani uh, is the author. Uh, Mozart Conspiracy is the uh, the story. I'm not going to go into too much of it or we won't actually need to have a 
podcast for it if I we talk about it too much, but it's a centuries-old mystery surrounding the composer Mozart and uh, this action-adventure hero who is, uh, who is investigating it. Yeah, um, I could even read... There's, the website's got a nice little blurb if you think sure. if, if it's appropriate. Yep. Um, who really murdered Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in 1790s Vienna? Was he poisoned by a jealous rival composer? Was he killed for breaking the Freemasons' code of silence? Or was a shadowy historical order somehow involved in his death? Was the bizarre and brutal murder of pianist Oliver Llewellyn two centuries later somehow connected? These are the questions facing troubled former SIS, SAS soldier Ben Hope in a breathless quest to find the killers of his friend Oliver. At the center of the mystery lies an old letter rediscovered after many years, which may or may not have been written by Mozart himself. From the city of Oxford to Ravenna, Venice, Vienna, and the snowy mountains of Slovenia, Ben and his old flame, the world-famous opera singer Leigh Llewellyn, must race across Europe to uncover the truth and stay one step ahead of a determined group of killers bent on erasing all trace of the Mozart conspiracy. I'm going to go out on a limb, and every question that that blurb asked, I'm going to go with the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Have you had a chance to start this yet? Have you um, looked at it all? Yes. I'm probably I'm maybe 10% of the way through it, and uh, it's everything it promises from the blurb. Uh, some other things I'd read about it, and not reviews. Um, at the time we started reading this, there actually weren't any reviews available for it. Um, the it, it's a combination of um, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and James Bond, which is what one of the teasers was for it. And I can say that being through the just a little bit of it, that's exactly what it's turning out to be. So we'll find out in the uh, in the coming weeks here what what we think about Ben Hope and the Mozart conspiracy. All right. Do you want to plug how to contact us? I would love to do that. You can follow us on Twitter at Booked Podcast on Twitter. Um, it's bookedpodcast at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. And the WordPress is bookedpodcast.wordpress.com. We also have a Goodreads account. Oh, we do. Um, which actually has nothing on it yet, but if you wanted to... Check us out there. The username is Booked Podcast. And there you go. So until next time, this is Livia Sneddon. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.